So, hello everyone. We are looking at the number, the numbers are really good. Welcome to British Chem Indonesia webinar series. I am Asti, events coordinator at the British Chamber of Commerce in Indonesia. In this webinar, we're going to discuss the continuity in education during COVID-19 challenge. And this session will be moderated by Chris Ren, our executive director. And I would also like to introduce our panelists for today's session. Our first panelist is David Butcher. He is the principal of the British School Jakarta and also board member of BCM Indonesia. Our second panelist is Julian Taylor. He is the executive head of international business engagement of the University of Strathclyde and also former Asia-Pacific Head for Scottish Development International. Last but not least, our third panelist is Oliver Anderson. He is the Managing Director of Ask Consulting. Before we start, allow me to explain the functionality of this Zoom webinar. Today's session is being recorded and we will be able to share a link with you when it's available after the event is complete. All the in participants will be muted to avoid background noises that may distract you from listening to the webinar and also to enable our panelists to present without interruption. And if you have any questions during the presentation, please type them into the Q&A box at any time. It is at the bottom center of your screen and we will have time for Q&A session at the end to answer your questions. Now, without further ado, I'm going to hand the floor over to Chris Ren, who is going to start today's webinar. Uh, Chris, it's yours. Thank you. Thank you very much, Asti, and uh, a very warm welcome to everybody. For those that don't know, I'm actually positioned in the UK, uh, a place just outside Liverpool called Formby. Um, it uh, just so happened that our UK roadshow was coming to an end as things started to kick off and it was decided that uh, perhaps I should stay on here. Um, and the other member of our panel that's also UK based um, is Julian, who's uh, up in Scotland. Um, I'd like to thank everybody for the questions that have been sent in in advance. We have 20 plus questions that have already been submitted. Um, and um, I think some of those questions will ordinarily get addressed uh, as the three speakers set the scene uh, for today's discussion around continuity in education during this COVID-19 challenge. Um, but those that aren't, uh, we will address these during a, a Q&A session. Um, plus, of course, the additional questions that might come through from you during the course of this webinar. Uh, we've got three speakers who have, uh, who obviously are significantly engaged in the education sector, but um, from slightly different perspectives. Our, our first speaker, David, who is principal um, at the British School, the British School recognized as uh, Indonesia's uh, leading international school. Um, then Julian, who um, is located uh, as the head of um, international business engagement at the University of Strathclyde. Um, Julian was particularly uh, interested in this uh, 
webinar because of his experience with Scottish Development International, uh, where he was the executive director of the Asia Pacific region. So not only able to talk from the university side, but also in the context uh, of uh, Southeast Asia as well. Um, and Oliver, although directly involved with the New Zealand School uh, in Jakarta, um, is also somebody that has a portfolio of schools under his remit, so 90 or so, um, again, offering uh, a, a different pr perspective from a whole range of schools uh, with students and parents representing many different segments. Uh, so with that, um, I, I'd like to introduce uh, David to yourselves and each of the speakers, there's no formal presentation per se, but what they're doing uh, with their first few minutes is simply to set the scene in the context of the businesses, the schools, the education environment that they're actually responsible for. Um, okay, David, over to you. Uh, Chris, thanks uh, thanks very much. And um, uh, also to my fellow webinar colleagues, hi, and um, I look forward to the next hour in terms of just hoping to, to help everybody at, at this point. Um, uh, I think what's what's really important um, is to say that I hope everybody here is their families are, are well and healthy and um, and we on behalf of my school particularly uh, we hope everybody's going to get through this really really well. It, it is unprecedented times. Um, as you saw on the uh, the advert for this this webinar, there's kind, of, there's kind of six big topics: home learning, daily schedule, motivation, assessment, health and well-being continuation of learning were the ones that have attracted people here today. Um, what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll probably just go through kind of the story of what's happened at BSJ, but also be mindful of the fact that all the time this has been a, a moment in international education and in education uh, overall where we've all kind of got together um, and to collaborate, which was hugely important. And whilst parents uh, see the with, with their parents, with their students see the front end of the online learning. I think a huge shout out must go to all our schools and all the administration teams behind it who are keeping our schools running at this point. Um, we're working on budgets, we're working on our campuses and, and making everything uh, you know, as ordinary as possible in extraordinary times. So you know, it's not just the, the teachers, it's the whole communities of our school. And also, you know, at this point in, in the time where we, we have switched to, to virtual online learning, it's really good that the, the communities come together. Uh, I can safely say that from my school and if ever anybody's from BSJ on this today, thank you, thank you is all we keep saying to you and we, we genuinely mean it because it's been so important for us to, to bring everybody together. So if you take the switch to online learning, the schools went at different times um, in Southeast Asia with China, Hong Kong going first and then um, we had a bit of a longer lead into that. So from a preparation point of view, we knew that at some point we'd probably have to switch. And so the idea was, okay, platforms, how are we going to do the instruction? How are we going to prepare the teachers? How are we going to prepare the, the parents? How are we going to prepare the students? And, and by doing all that, it's never going to be seamless. But what we tried to do was to make sure that everybody knew. And that was just meetings upon meetings in the preparation for. But when you switch to uh, a new style of learning, you, you can't ever be right. Uh, and what we learned and uh, very, very quickly 
and what we instilled in, into the sort of mantra of, the, of BSJ was, we're a school that likes to provide a world-class education face-to-face. -face. We're going to do the same uh, on, in an online capacity. And so prior, just before we, we switched and we closed the campus, I think we had about 170 people in from the primary school parents who we were able to actually give them the, the uh, updates of how this was going to work. And that was vitally important to us. If you take the online learning itself, I'm going to break it down into sections because it wasn't one size fits all. So if we start at the bottom of the school, and we had a lot of um, a lot of queries and a lot of um, uh, you know, just anxiety about what online learning looks for the, for the three to four year olds. And so what we've done there is we've worked with the parents uh, very, very strongly. And in doing that, we've made sure that the, there's a parent in the room and the the lessons go on as as literally as, as they can do in the uh, in the classroom so a phonics lesson the basics that can that we can do face to face they can actually replicate um in in, in a virtual setting and there's also the, the time element and the, the intensity for the youngsters is something that we keep balancing and we keep reviewing with with the parents and with the staff as to how long and the duration and how successful that is so that's for the very very young ones in terms of the, the primary school, uh, we use Google Meets. Other schools use different platforms. And what we did is that every teacher, homeroom teacher set up their, their, their Google Meet, which is their classroom. And then also, we also set up uh, what we call virtual pods. So the main teacher could teach in the morning when the, at 7.50, they had a 10 minute check-in with the students to you know just get everybody working, you know, just like the carpet time or something like that. And then from there, the, the lesson would start but we also have this virtual pod where we could take people out so maybe students with EAL um, difficulties where those with individual needs and just the teacher wanted to work separately or the teacher assistant work, could work differently so we had the classroom and then we had a subsidy classroom as well and that worked really well we think that's that's a, a very very good thing for the for the students and for the, for the teachers and again after a week we had a review of what we were doing Screen time was obviously a major consideration and the, the quality of the lessons. And we, we kind of took it upon us to say less is more, uh, in that you could do quite a lot in a short space of time. Uh, so that to avoid the amount of screen time and actually then bring in high quality and then task based. And certainly as you went higher in the primary school, that was the, uh, the style of the, that we've adopted. We've refined it again after our break, uh, we're currently on a break, uh, even more so. From that, into secondary school where we have three or four curricula so uh, the year seven eight and nine key stage three or what we call the IBM YP that's very much um, kind of inquiry based learning and so we've now adopted and a lot of schools have done this which is blended learning which is synchronous or asynchronous uh, learning which is either face-to-face -face or task-based projects and putting the two together and working the curriculum through so for our NYP, um, asynchronous and, and project-based with assessments that are, that are formative really work for us, for that, for the years, for 11 to 14. From there, you also go through into um, the IGCSEs, and there we've had more curriculum-based, but again, we can set off tasks, we can set off projects, and the, the teachers always online tracking what they're doing to make sure that they, they've got the right, uh, the right notion of the, the learning that's going, uh, that's taking place. And then you get up to the IB Diploma and the IB Careers Related Program that we both have at the top end of the school. And again, uh, both are you know, curriculum driven, so it's just a question of uh, adapting the curriculum, having a blended style to make sure that the, 
the teachers and the students are both engaged to make sure that they can fill the requirements for the exams. So that was the, the core of what we did as a school. So we kind of quartiled it into four sections. And then every week, both the leadership teams would meet, review, and then improve. But we also made sure that the, the primary leadership team was available. So there's a Q&A every day for the parents. We thought that was vital. And the same in the secondary school, twice a week, there was an open forum where people could just come back and tell us where we were doing it well and where we could do it better. So these were the important things for us in terms of actually getting, getting it up and running. And then you have to be different. And so what we've done is we've looked at, we have entrepreneurship at the school. So I have a, a director for entrepreneurship. So we're going to take uh, 11 to 14 year olds off, off sort of timetable. And we're going to do some uh, work with 7 billion ideas where they're going to do a home hack and they're going to build a company with our primary students. We're going to do mini MBAs online. And for uh, uh, older students, it's the two sections that we're really concerned about are the GCSEs because there's no public examinations and the IB diploma as well. And they're really the lost generation. So what we've done with those is to make sure, particularly with the, with the IGCSEs, is to say, okay, term three is really important. You've still got work to do with the IGCSEs, but we're also going to lead into the IB and to make sure that they're gamefully employed and really working towards uh, the subjects and the ideas of and the change into a new type of curriculum. And then we, I think everybody feels for the, the graduated classes of every every school at the moment in terms of they've kind of lost their examinations, they've lost their, their graduation, they've lost their prom, they've lost their end of year trip. And so as a school, we're working on a kind of 12 point plan that's just, again, working with uh, our entrepreneurship. It's to try and work out how we can keep them motivated, how we can keep them part of our community. So those are really important for us so they can actually give some, we can actually do some pre-university stuff with them. So that's where we sit as a school. I would say the key words that we've used are communication, collaboration, feedback. Screen time was a big issue and we've tried to reduce it. Safeguarding was a big issue and we, put, we pushed out huge uh, ideas about safeguarding to our parents to make sure that both the, the, the staff and the students were well aware of our, what we wanted on that. From a wellbeing point of view, we're lucky that we have a wellbeing half hour in the secondary, so every day we could have assemblies and meet them and, and talk to the students about it. Um, and then basically we're just looking at how to make it in, uh, better every time, every week that we do it. So we're getting ready for the next stint between Easter and Eve. And I think I'm up on time. Thank you, Chris. Thank you very much, uh, David. I'm excellently setting the scene there in terms of the, um, the preparation from the British School and, and how you got to where you got now. And as was anticipated uh, in that scene setting, have also addressed one or two of the questions that have been raised. Um, and there the was one in particular that's come from three different parents that I, I will come back to you on, and that's the issue of safeguarding, if you don't mind. Um, okay, uh, Julian in Scotland, um, if I could uh, Im invite you to to join this webinar and do your own scene setting from the pers perspective of um, an established university that has uh, a, a fairly significant footprint already here in Indonesia and a flow of students also going from Indonesia to Strathclyde. Julian. But Thank you, Chris. And could I first start by commending you and your team for holding this webinar at a time when there is a lot of news, not all of it reliable. I think communication is key for all of us and communication 
with people who are deeply embedded in the subject. So con congratulations to you and your team for, for holding holding this. So, um, and I just wanted to pick up on one word that, that David said, which really struck a chord with me, which was unite. Um, and I think we are all united in this. I particularly, as you note, have, have, have some experience working in Indonesia and have a real passion for building bridges between the UK and Indonesia. So thank you for the opportunity to, to speak this morning and I hope this can serve to, uh, to build, build more bridges and to build on that sense of, of unity. The University of Strathclyde is in the heart of Glasgow. It's a leading international technology university. We have global expertise in engineering, in science, humanities, and an accredited, triple accredited business school. And proud of the fact that we've just been awarded the UK University of the Year for last year. And that's the second time we have received that accolade, the only university in the UK to do that. I'm, I'm not here to promote Strathclyde's particularly as a university, and I'd like to talk generally about what, some, what I understand some of the UK universities are in fact doing. I speak, as you say, as the part of the responsible for the university's engagement with business. We have relationships with companies like Boeing, Rolls-Royce, Roche, Pfizer, um, and I prospect the world and a global, global role to find new industrial partners. But I'm also part of the university's leadership team and it's from that perspective that I wanted to talk this morning. And good to cover two particular aspects that I think might be of interest. Firstly, briefly reference current students and emphasize the word care, the word care that has been shown to current students to give parents comfort that sending students literally to the other side of the world, they're not, they're not students, they're the loved ones, they're, they're, your, they're your children who are being sent to the other side of the world, can be looked after um, from many, many miles away. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the, the process of applying for next academic year and indeed the, the year after, because people will still be thinking about that. So the current year has, as David said, given rise to, to many challenges. Um, and what we have tried to do at the university, and I know this is replicated in other universities, is adopt a very personal approach to treat our students as part of our, our, our wider family. Um, and that has been done by building on established communities. So there are groups of students from, for example, the, the students come together in all sorts of ways, but they do come together in groups from the countries that they come from, but they also come together in, in a variety of clubs, whether that's sporting clubs, social clubs, a number of ways. So students coming together is a very important way that we as a university can, can engage with them. At a time of significant challenge, we've adopted a number of techniques to, to do that. Um, at the moment we have, for example, Zoom drop-in sessions for those students that are, that, are, that are still around, Zoom uh, sessions on health, on diet, on sport, if, if, even on sleep. Any issue or challenge that a student currently in the university faces, there is advice and guidance for them. And very practically, um, money can be an issue and we have established our own hardship fund for students facing particular financial difficulties. So I wanted to emphasize that to give a strong sense of personal care. As, as, as a parent myself, I have a, a child at university and, and I want to know he's, he's looked after as a human being first and foremost. But we are academic institutions and we are here to teach and the teaching has moved to online. Um, that has 
I think it's, it's, it's fair to say it's challenged some um, and, and, and some of it are very good at that. So we've seen uh, online lectures, we've seen innovation around uh, lecturers being able to give lectures using recordings or PowerPoints with recorded so students can watch at their, at their own leisure. And, and even events like this, this is not dissimilar to an online Zoom tutorial that students will be, will be benefiting from, maybe in groups of five, six, seven, eight, so an on online interactive session. And the staff themselves, the lecturers themselves, have made themselves available <laughs> virtually 24-7. Yes, I think as, as there's, there's some staff simply working too much in an attempt to offer support and service to students who, who, who are in need of that. This is, uh, and, and just in, interesting as an aside, whilst we are in a crisis, it's also thrown up opportunities. There are opportunities in new areas of research, for example. So I know my own university, given our global expertise in manufacturing, is contributing to the development of new ventilators. I'm involved in a, in a project myself for sourcing testing equipment. So new opportunities are, are coming up for, for our, our students and our academic staff. This time of year is one where we're thinking about exams and the examination timetable has absolutely changed. Our first and second year students will not have formal exams, but they will have assessment from, from the year gone past. Our, second, our third and fourth year students will have exams, but they'll be done at home on an open book basis. And very clearly we've adopted a policy of no detriment. There should be no academic disadvantage to any student in the current situation. I think, again, that goes back to this sense of, of personal care and, 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 and an open and engaged way of working with students who, who, might, who might have particular concerns. Very quickly on to prospective students. For the next academic year, 2021, this is very much a live situation and decisions are being taken almost as we speak. We were considering extending the offer process. We know some parents realize that their, their children at the moment will not be able to take exams or the examination situation will look very different. Each country, it will be different, but we will give consideration to the circumstances of all students presenting themselves with whatever examination they've been able to take under the auspices of their own national examination procedures. So just because an exam can't be sat doesn't mean students can't go to university. And, and the actual process of moving to a new country should, should start. Um, the visa application process should start. If there are challenges of, of, of students fearing that they won't be able to leave their country, then talk to the university. We are considering some options around what term one of the forthcoming academic year might look like. We simply don't know at the moment, but it might be that term one has to be delayed in, in September of this year. It might need to be delayed one or two weeks. It might need to be delayed into next calendar year, or there might be need to be some innovation about online teaching for term one of the forthcoming academic year. But at this stage, we're considering options and nothing has been decided. And my final point would be to say, for those considering applying to any university for the following academic year, 2021-22 seems an awful long way away, but we know that the application process starts now. And my recommendation would be to any parent, anyone considering this, start the process now. Most universities prior to this situation were very well represented online. It's possible to do a fair amount of background research online and contact the universities. Most have excellent web presence 
most are able to have a, a contact us um, re request most courses you can engage specifically with relevant academics not necessarily the administration department so do your research do your preparation do your homework and start thinking about 21 22 as of as of today i'll leave it there chris but we're happy to pick up questions in the q a Thank you very much, Julian, from the university perspective. Um, and just in the context of 2122, uh, I'd like to take this opportunity of just forward, uh, forward warning, if you like, that um, the Britcham Education Centre will be up and running uh, very, very soon. And this is designed to be a link liaison matchmake between our international business members and uh, an elite panel of universities from the UK and we will be there to assist prospective students and their parents with regards selection for 21-22. Um, thanks very much Julian. I, I would just like to put you on notice that um, we'll be coming back to this uh, expression of no detriment um, because there are many ways of, of looking at uh, how people might be disadvantaged through this time. Um, so I'll come back to you on that and once again thank you. Uh, in that scene setting you also uh, did address some of the questions that have come in advance. Um, I think now would be uh, a good time to bring Oliver in who uh, represents as I mentioned a portfolio uh, of uh, educational establishments um, that uh, that go across the different segments of society. Um, Oliver. Morning everyone or afternoon depending where you are. Uh, thanks a lot Chris, uh, of course David and Julian and just to echo your sentiments there, fully agree, um, fantastic insights and I'll be picking up uh, on a few common themes there but but first of all by, by way of a, a little bit of empathy with everyone we Richam were very kindly shared a profile of some of the attendees uh, to this conversation so uh, my, myself as, as Chris said uh, I'm very privileged to own and operate a private school in South Jakarta uh, which comes with its own opportunities and challenges now uh, I'm a business owner we work strategically as Chris said with a number of schools at multiple price points uh, throughout Indonesia. We work with uh, strategic investors, uh, financial investors, development banks from overseas coming in to Indonesia and we also uh, help with policy advice in, in the public sector. So looking at everyone that's, that, that's on this webinar now, there's, uh, we're looking at a lot of broad areas there, you know, school, school owners, school operators, business owners, employers, and, and of course, parents. I've got two kids who, who were in school in uh, in South Jakarta up to up to about three or four weeks ago. So, feeling your pain, a lot of empathy, and uh, hopefully, with our insights today, we can we, we can share some insights into really what may come next and some best practice to to actually actually get us there. So, of a bit more relevance to. Uh, what we do and the, the company that I run, we're lucky enough to work with about 500 um, different private schools across Indonesia. And, and these range from uh, upper premium price point right down to um, very competitive, I, I should say, price points across Indonesia. We work with them strategically and, and uh, we try and support them as, as best we can. 
we've been monitoring a lot of feedback from different stakeholders across our networks uh, over the last couple of weeks. Um, and the commonalities are actually actually very clear and that, that's really um, where this topic of the webinar actually came from. But the overarching observation that we have uh, as a company when, when, when we looked at this one, and this is something David was speaking on, was really the communication, collaboration, the, the levels of understanding and responsiveness um, by schools, by parents, and by and by students has really been overwhelming. And uh, I take great encouragement with that. And I, I hope, as you know, if you're a parent or a business owner or an educator, you you also take um, you take a lot of encouragement from that as well. So, looking at what has been happening through those lenses of parent student uh, school owners and educators and, and business owners um, i think we just need to take a step back and not just look at the impact covid19 um, has had uh, and, and will continue to have on on the learning of our kids and, and, our, and our businesses and, and our jobs and what's going to happen in the next 20 30 years time but look at this through the context that, that was already already taking place. And very much that was about the uh, changing face of education and parenting. Something you're, you're very familiar with now, I'm, I'm sure as a parent, you, you communicate very differently, at least when I was at school. Parents are far more involved in their child's education now, uh, far more engaged in, in the process of learning. I'll be interested to hear David's in, in, uh, inputs about that. Uh, students are a lot more engaged and interested in how they learn, where they learn, what they learn, uh, what those outputs uh, are going to be. There's the context of, well, the changing nature of schools. Uh, what role do bricks and mortar schools actually play in, in education over the next 5, 10, 15, 15 years? How we communicate the process and outputs of learning has is, is also changed with social media, technology. Of course, I can't leave education behind. Approaches to learning uh, have, have come on leaps and bounds in, in the last 20 years. Um, and also the anticipation of what comes next, uh, something that Julian touched on, work-life skills in the next, uh, for the next generation and subsequent generations, we, we've you know, been mapped out. 21st century skills is, is one example, but uh, actually it's quite, it's quite vague. So, COVID-19 has really put all of these drivers under the microscope and really allowed us to ask questions about the current processes and outputs and how these are aligned to what will come next, either in our personal lives or, or, or our professional lives. So I was reading and I'm happy to share this with, with the group. I'll share it with Chris and we can push it out. I was reading um, some research actually earlier this morning, uh, 700 private schools across, across the, the globe. And uh, these school leaders and owners had given their opinion of what was going to happen in the immediate, uh, medium and long term. And, and it was pretty grim reading, to be honest with you, as you can well imagine. Uh, contraction of the market, lack of demand, lack of growth, uh, workforces, shrinking, lack of opportunity. 
Uh, and really the disruption that David was speaking about, uh, schools moving towards blended learning and, and other approaches to learning, has been accelerated because of, because of these enablers or constraints, depending, depending how, about how you look to them. But I think we can't look at them negatively. We have to view them positively because, as Julian was saying, there is opportunity. And University of Strathclyde is already realizing this and already having purposeful uh, contributions to, to the efforts right now with, with COVID-19. I think the first positive outlook, if you're a parent and to some extent uh, an educator, is that parents now, and this is a huge theme of the feedback we've received from schools, regardless of their price point within Indonesia and within the region, has been this has allowed parents to look under the bonnet, to look in the engine of what's actually happening in their child's schooling. And it's generally fallen into two different buckets. One has been that, wow, okay, this process has been happening. Absolutely love it. I want to be part of it. How can I do it? The other one, I'm sorry to say, has been, um, this probably resonates with a few parents out there, more of the, uh, okay. Um, and this is, this is understandable because schools have been have been struggling with uh, with the transition, as, as David was saying. British school have done a fantastic job, uh, but it's still a formative process for them, and they're still learning. And parents are uh, also learning as well. Whether you, your child has a slightly more autonomous, self-directed learning approach from their school, or uh, something very prescriptive, and you know, I've, I've heard of schools, I know of schools where they have to clock in certain. Um, hours of screen time a day, as David, David was mentioning earlier. What this has done, very clearly then, has allowed parents to focus directly and ask exactly the right questions. Is this the type of learning process that is beneficial to my child? They're the type of questions that really drive schools forward. So there's a positive there. For Parents, again, and for educators, the, the second benefit for this or opportunity is that schools, private schools at least, can be very agile. And as I mentioned earlier, and very responsive. They can listen to feedback if they're communicative, as David mentioned earlier, which is fantastic opportunity for schools to develop new programs, to meet the needs of students and of the market, and for educators to have purposeful input into those. So expect some disruption, expect some change, and, and embrace it if you're, if you're a parent and if you're an educator. Just moving very quickly to the last couple of points, uh, and I can bundle it into, into one, is if you're working within a school, if you're a school owner, and I know there are a few of you on, uh, online here, uh, this is opportunity. Um, this is, as I said, this is accelerated the disruption that was coming maybe in 2020 2015 uh, was the projected timeline it's now been brought forward uh, maybe 12 24 months for for the full for the full movement we've been working with two schools in particular since last year about new business models new methods of learning uh, in anticipation of this disruption and good schools will always be good schools and good universities will be good universities and so i encourage 
those schools and institutions to embrace this, understand the movement within the market, understand their market segment needs, and really develop appropriate business models for that. And upon that, my, my time's up. So, so back to you, Chris. Okay. Um, it is for me now to sort of bring our webinar to a close. Um, I, I'd particularly like to thank Julian, Oliver and David for joining us and bringing their um, different uh, expertise uh, to our audience. Um, I'd like to thank our audience very, very much for joining this first Britcham webinar. Um, if your question was not specifically answered, uh, do feel free to write in and perhaps ask it in a slightly more detailed way and we'll see if um, our relevant panellists uh, would be obliged in, in providing a, an answer to that. Um, an expression was used by Oliver, fear of the unknown. Of course, we do not know um, how long our current situation will last, whether that's in the UK or indeed in Indonesia. Um, but I hope that everybody on this particular webinar has a sense that there is a great deal of responsibility, um, maturity going into tackling the different challenges that relate to education, whether they are institution owners, whether they are the teaching and support staff, whether they are you as parents um, or indeed your students. Um, for those um, in Indonesia still looking at the UK as an education option, there was a very, very clear message. Um, if, if you're somebody promoting uh, the UK, continue with your promotion. If you're considering enrollment, continue your research as to where you want to enroll and perhaps take this opportunity to get a little bit of extra attention uh, with that research as well. Um, we will be trying to put on webinars um, every Thursday. Notification of our next one will come out tomorrow. We'll continue to adopt uh, timings to allow our UK-facing stakeholders and also our uh, Indonesian um, members and their friends uh, to join at fairly conducive times. Um, for me, um, I, I'd just like to say that all of you who have joined this webinar will keep in touch with you via snapshots and also snapshots extra. Um, I notice a number of non-members who joined. Um, my team won't hassle you to, to join BritCham membership right at this moment, um, but I'm sure when we've all got a little bit more band bandwidth, uh, they will ask you to recall the value that, uh, that we as a chamber have been adding to you and your business uh, and your family and your educational life during this period. I'd just like to thank you all with a very, very simple message of staying safe and uh, we, we hope to all meet in a physical sense uh, as soon as is practically possible. Thank you, panelists. Thank you, everyone on this webinar. Thank you, Britchem team.